Good morning to you. <laughs> well, we have sung uh, for the last uh, several minutes praises to our great God for his uh, work in rescuing us and redeeming us and saving us. And I pray that if there are any who are here who do not know of this saving work of our God, you don't know this, you have not experienced uh, his work uh, on your behalf for your salvation, you haven't experienced that personally, uh, my prayer is that through what we're going to read today in the scriptures, uh, the Lord would not only speak to you, uh, but that the Lord would indeed begin that work of drawing you to himself. Uh, there is a joy unspeakable. Uh, there is a love unfathomable, and and it is it is not something that we uh, that we just say just to get a group together and and you know we're you know we're we're, we're not uh, uh, you know company deprived or anything like that. We just say whatever we can to get people together. No, this this is a reality that 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 all of us, at least most of us in this room, share. Uh, we have been loved deeply by our creator. There is a God in the heavens who loves sinners. And I don't know if that will ever make sense, <laughs> but it does to him. And we are so grateful for his grace and so grateful for his kindness that he would include us in his family. And we would love for you to get in on this. We'd love for you to be a part of our family too. Uh, through the work of our Savior and by his grace. Well, with that said, I would love to read uh, for you, if you have your Bibles open, uh, Romans 3. If you turn to uh, Paul's letter to the Romans, we're continuing our series through the letter to the Romans, a series that uh, we've entitled, For the Love of God. And, and I want you to, uh, to, to read along with me, if you have your Bibles, uh, to Romans chapter 3. You can turn a page, you can uh, click a button, you know, or whatever, however you get there, uh, just as long as you get there. When you're there, say, I'm there. Yes, All right, cool. Romans chapter 3. Uh, let's begin uh, at verse 9. And we'll read uh, the passage that Eric uh, read uh, and preached last week, and that just segues right into where we are uh, this morning. Verse 9, what then? Are we Jews any better off? Paul speaking as a Jew. Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, Greeks being the term back then for all of us that are non-Jews, we say Gentiles today, or, or as uh, Jews would affectionately call us, goyim, today. Uh, we all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. 
They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. I am so glad that's not the rest of the story. Verse 21. But now. (laughs) The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let's go before our Lord and ask him to give us some seatbelts because <laughs> this is a absolutely fantastic passage. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, who is worthy? Who is worthy to to proclaim such high truths. And Lord, even as I say say that, truths, not wishes, truths, this is reality. This is not escapism. This is the world as it is. This is reality as it is. This is who you are. For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, this is who we are in Christ. So Father, I pray that this would erupt, (laughs) that your word would just leap off the page into our souls and into our hearts, into our minds. Father, I pray that all of us in this room would leave out of here justified covered with the righteousness of Christ. We ask big things, Lord, because you're a big God. You work miracles that we can't even see. Father, I pray that you would do more than we could ever comprehend. Have your way among us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hmm. A politician... Uh, after a successful campaign, won his election and began public service. He quickly uh, uh, had a victory party, and it was there at the victory party that he met the wife of a Marine. He grew an attraction to her, and he started plotting how he could get her for himself. 
so he invited her to a banquet that he had for, uh, for donors, uh, you know, politicians and their donors, um, so, that, uh, so that he could get a little bit closer to her while her husband was deployed. Well, one thing led to another. He thought that he could get away with his affair, um, and for some time he did get away until several weeks of morning sickness and several positive tests confirmed that she was pregnant. The politician couldn't have this on his plate. Uh, you see, it would ruin his ambitions. So he uh, cooked up a plan uh, to have her husband murdered so that he could cover up his indiscretions by marrying her. When the news broke, killed in action, he paid for the funeral expenses, that's very nice of him, proposed to the widowed wife, and they had a private wedding with a few guests. Months later, they would welcome their newborn into the world. He almost got away with it. But eventually, the attorney general started following the breadcrumbs, the, the emails, the, the bank statements, the due date. <laughs> All of these seemed to point to a conspiracy to murder. The politician was under arrest. And as he appeared before the judge, he knew that he was caught and he pleaded guilty. However, in spite of the guilty plea, the judge ruled that the politician was not guilty and would be immediately released. Now, some may think that this is just another day, right? I mean, after all, people with political, cultural, economic power, they have a tendency to get away with their crimes, don't they? Politicians, like cats, more often land on their feet. We know of police officers who are caught on video using excessive force, even to the death of those who were under arrest and yet in the court of law are found not guilty. We know of entertainers like Bill Cosby who, after seemingly convincing evidence of sexual assault, could have his verdict and sentence overturned on a technicality. While we expect these things in our justice system, we would hesitate to call such things justice. They would, in fact, be breaches of justice. We would call for the judge's impeachment, and we would hope to cultivate a justice system in which those who commit the crimes would serve the time. What if I told you that the court that we're referring to isn't a lower court, but is the Supreme Court. And what if I told you that I'm not talking about the Supreme Court with nine justices, at least for now, um, but, but, but what if I told you that, that, that this court that I'm referring to is the court in the heavens with one judge? Hmm. What if I told you that that judge, the judge, let politicians like him go free. And in fact, he does so despite all the evidence against him and even a guilty plea. 
would it be right for the Lord to do this? In his letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul not only proclaims that the Lord has indeed let people like this politician go free, but that his, uh, this work of God is also at the very heart of the message that we call good news, the gospel. <laughs> For three chapters now, and we've walked through it, and I know we've ached <laughs> through these three chapters thus far, Paul has made his case like a surgeon that every single one of us has sinned against God and we are deserving of his eternal punishment. We could get there in different ways. Some, like pagan Gentiles with no access to the scriptures, we just kind of wing it, right? We just kind of live our lives however we want to live our lives, and, and we just go for maximum pleasure, maximum entertainment. We, we step on every single person that we possibly can on the way, and, and, and we, that's how we live. And that is the road to destruction. It's the road to the judgment of God. And there were Jews, as we saw in chapter 2 and chapter 3, that would go, whew, thank God I'm not those pagans. I've, we've got the Bible. We have Torah, Right? And, and, and with the scriptures, we have, you know, uh, uh, the, uh, um, the relationship with God, the covenant that we have with our Lord all the way back to our father Abraham. We have the Exodus. We have, you know, the Ten Commandments. We have Sinai. We have the temple. We have all of these different things. And Paul says, do you honestly think that that is going to save you? Having all of those things does not save you. Having Torah, having God's law in your hands does not save you. Doing his law, but you have failed to do it. And because you have failed to do it, you are just as guilty as those who don't even have it. That's what he says. It doesn't matter the road. Some of you may be like, like the Gentiles that Paul talks about in Romans 1. You may be the ones just kind of living your life, doing your thing, following the crowd, just Full force, you know, pedal to the floor. This is how I live. Woo! That, that could be you. Okay? And you are under the judgment of God. You may be like the Jews. You're not Jewish. At least I don't think there's anyone here who's Jewish. Uh, if you are, hey, how you doing? Um, but, 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 but you may be like the Jews in that you've had the scriptures. You grew up with the scriptures. You may have grown up in church and you've heard the same stories that they've heard. You know about David and Goliath. You know about uh, uh, the t uh, Ten Commandments. You know about the plagues. You know about the parting of the Red Sea. You've heard all of this just as they heard all of this. And yet you, just like they disobeyed his commands. You haven't obeyed. It doesn't matter the road. We've all gotten to the same destination, and the same destination is the judgment of God. Regardless of the route we took, we're all landing in the same place, but Paul has good news. God lets guilty sinners go free despite the overwhelming evidence against them and their own guilty pleas. In fact, the word that Paul uses to teach this truth actually goes beyond anything that a judge can do in any of our human courts. You see, in a human court, the judge uh, uh, has a, a, uh, an accusation, a charge, okay? And he must decide whether the defendant did do the charge or he didn't do the charge, whether he's guilty or whether he's innocent. 
But Paul does not use that language here. Paul uses the term righteous, righteousness, which means this. Not only does this judge say you didn't do the crimes that are uh, set before you, but he even goes further to say you are in right standing with the court. It's not only that you didn't do what you're accused of doing, but I am calling you right. You are in the right. Okay? That's what he says. And God does this all the time. So we once again are asking the question, why is this good news? If that happened in a lower court, we'd go, no, you can't do that. That's a a miscarriage of justice. Paul is going to show us in this passage that not only is it not a miscarriage of justice for God to do it, but it actually magnifies his justice when he does this. God lets guilty sinners go free, and he is right to do so. And I don't know about you, but that's some of the best news that I could possibly hear. Mm. That God could call guilty sinners right and be right in doing so. This is not a miscarriage of justice. This is the magnifying of his justice. Okay? So how does he do this? What's going on here? There are three overarching uh, truths that I want to bring out of this passage. And just to let you all know, there is nothing that I could possibly do to bring uh, to, to do justice to this, no pun intended, to do justice to this passage here. Leon Morris, he was a New Testament uh, scholar, uh, wonderful Greek uh, scholar. He called this paragraph the greatest paragraph ever written. Thanks, Leon. <laughs> Appreciate it. No pressure or anything. Um, and, uh, and there are some who have spent weeks through this, and we're going to spend a few minutes uh, through this. So my prayer is that this isn't the, the, the only time that you chew on this bone, uh, but, but that you come back to it later on today, and you come back to it tomorrow, and you just keep meditating on this, because this goes way deeper than we're going to go this morning. We're only going to be skimming the surface, and even that may be overwhelming, but we'll see what God does, all right? So there are three overarching truths that, that, that Paul is showing here to demonstrate God's righteousness, all right? God's righteousness in calling guilty sinners righteous, okay? So first thing is this. God's righteousness is displayed by the witness of Scripture. God's righteousness is displayed by the witness of Scripture. Look what he says in verse 21. He says, but now, stop there, hold on, but now, but now. Now, if you hear that, you should automatically go, but, but what? Like, what, why is, why is there, what are we contrasting this with? But is a term of contrast, you know? Um, uh, I loved going to King's Dominion, you know, a few weeks ago, but there was a ride that, you know, near gave me a concussion, you know, something like that. You know, that's a con, that's a contrast, Okay. So, but now, so what's, the, what's that there for? What's what we read before? In verse 9, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not, all, uh, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. You see that there in verse 9. 
And in verse 20, he says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Okay? In other words, the law is not designed to expel our sin. The law is designed to expose our sin. Okay? The law does not take our sin away. The law only compounds our sinfulness. You are not as bad as you think you are. You're actually worse. That's what the scriptures teach us here, okay? Uh, you could not comprehend the wickedness that exists in your heart and in your mind and in your soul and in your will. That's why there are times where you want to do the right thing and you feel like you're fighting against yourself. You feel like you're pushing a boulder up a mountain like Sisyphus and you go, I can't do this. No, you can't do this. You weren't wired to do this. You're a sinner, okay? And the law exposes that. The law just looks at you and says, told you so. So when he says, but now, that's important. Because you look at the law and you say, I can't do this. I can't obey this. I can't live up to the righteous, the righteous standards that God has given to us in his scriptures and all of that. And Paul says, that's the point. That's the point. The point of the law is to show that you can't keep the law. The point of the law is to show you that you need something else. You need someone else. And that's exactly what he says here. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Notice the nuance there. It's apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. Okay, So the righteousness of God does not come through the law, i.e. through obeying the law, doing the works of the law. Self-improvement isn't going to improve you. All right, self-improvement is not going to improve your situation before God. You are going to be guilty and you will continue to be guilty because your righteousness, as Eric said last week, uh, quoting the prophet, is as filthy rags before the Lord. Your, your best day is still bad before God. Okay? It's apart from the law, but the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The law and the prophets all throughout history has been going, look! Look, look, it's not through you, it's through someone else. We can't tell you now, but, he's, but it's coming, right? You know, it's this little teaser saying something better is coming. Someone better is coming, and he's able to do what you can't do. Hold on and trust in him because he's coming soon, okay? Let me give you some examples of this. In, uh, because the law and the prophets, as Paul says, they testified that, no, you can't keep this. You can't do this. In Deuteronomy 31, verses 26 to 29, Moses says this. He says, take this book of the law. This, by the way, these are Moses' last words. Deuteronomy is a book that he wrote before he died. He dies in chapter 34. I don't know who wrote that, um, <laughs> but it's a little weird you know, for somebody who would be writing it to go, and then I died. <laughs> I don't think it worked that way. But, but anyways, these are the last words that he writes before he dies. And he says this, take this book of the law, Deuteronomy 31, starting in verse 26, take this book of the law and put it by the side of the Ark of the Covenant for the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against you. For I know how rebellious and stubborn you are. I mean, these are his last words. <laughs> You're just like, thank you, Moses. Um, can you leave now? Um, for I know how rebellious and stubborn you are. Behold, even today while I am yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord. 
How much more after my death? Assemble to me the elders of your tribes and your officers that I may speak these words in their ears and call heaven and earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death, you will surely act corruptly and turn aside from the way that I've commanded you. And in the days to come, evil will befall you because you will do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger through the work of your hands. Boy, that's a pick me up. You know, I mean, this, this is what he says. That Moses says, I know what you're going to do. I'm going to die and you're going to go right back into sin. The law predicted that. The law told them that this is how they were going to live their lives. Later on in Joshua, uh, Moses dies at the end of uh, Deuteronomy. God raises up Joshua to succeed him in the book of Joshua. They go into the land with the conquest. They take over. They uh, start allocating the land and everything. And you get to the end of Joshua, and Joshua is now on uh, in his final days. And he says this to the people. He says, if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, many of y'all have heard this verse today uh, uh, before, Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers, uh, uh, the gods that your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, who can finish it? We will serve the Lord. That's what Joshua says. And the people answered, we don't we usually don't read on, but the, the rest of the of the passage is this: the people answered. Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through, uh, uh, through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all these peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. Woo! But Joshua said to the people, you're not able to serve the Lord. I mean, just completely pop the bubble, doesn't he? You know, <laughs> it's just, no, we're going to serve the Lord too. And Joshua says, no, you're not. And that's how the book ends. <laughs> and you go, well, who's right? Is Joshua right? Is Israel right? Well, the next book is Judges. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is the law, all right? The law and the prophets are bearing witness that righteousness can't come through us. The law already said to Israel, you are not the way in and of yourselves. But now, are you trying to improve yourself? Are you following some diet plan? Or are you following some, some code of ethics or something? Are you just trying to be a nicer person or all of that? Wonderful. Praise God that you're trying to do all of that. But it's not going to help your, your situation. You cannot save yourselves. The only way that you can do so is if God works on your behalf. That's what he says. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. What the law demands, you cannot supply. But what the law demands, God can supply. And the good news is he has. He has. So what's going on here? What, so this is the first point. The first point that, that I've been uh, developing here, right from verse 21, is God's righteousness is displayed by the witness of Scripture. Well, next, God's righteousness is delivered to believers in Christ. God's righteousness is delivered to believers in Christ. Look what he says, verse 22. What is this righteousness? What is this righteousness that God supplies? Well, verse 22, the righteousness of God 
through faith in Christ Jesus or in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There it is. The righteousness of God that comes apart from the law, the righteousness of God that that the law and the prophets bear witness to is the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The righteousness that God supplies is only in Jesus. Only in Jesus. If you want to be right before God, If you, as a guilty sinner, want to be called righteous before the holy judge, you must come to Jesus. There's no other way. Now, notice he says that this is for all who believe. For all who believe. You've heard the old saying, many of you, that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. It's not sloped where, where you've got the, 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 uh, on one end, the, the Jews you know, get kind of a down slide over to the cross. It's easy for them to get to the cross, but the Gentiles have this upward climb up to the cross. No, that's not how it works. It's not like it's easier for folks in the Bible belt, but, but it's harder for folks in the hood or, or in the sticks or something like that. That's not how it works. It's not like it's easier for those who got a little bit of green, or, or, but it's not so for those who are broke. No, that's That's not how this works. Anyone who comes to faith in Jesus will be called righteous. The righteousness of God is for all who believe. And you say, why can he say that? Well, verse 23, for all have sinned. I'm sorry, verse 22, he says there is no distinction. He wants to uh, reiterate that. There's no distinction for, 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Probably more literally, all have sinned and lack the glory of God. He's made that case through the first three chapters. If having the law but not keeping it makes you just as guilty as not having the law at all and not keeping it, then that means that for all of us, the road to Christ is the same way. I can't depend on my works. I can't depend on my self-improvement. I can't turn over a new leaf or anything like that. That's not how this works. It can only come by me trusting in one who is greater than me. And the only one that can, uh, that can claim that title is Jesus. It's only him. So it's, uh, it says there that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24, and are justified. We're going to, as soon as we get into this part from verses 24 to 25 and so on, we're going to get some big theological terms. And so I'm going to try and explain these as we go through here because these are so important to Paul's argument, okay? Notice first, we are justified by his grace as a gift, justified. I'm uh, working on my uh, PhD and, and, and that means, no, no, you don't have to amen that, sweetheart. That's, that's, that's okay. Um, I'm glad it's amen and not oh man, um, because that's, <laughs> that's how it's felt you know, for the last few years. But um, I, I'm, I'm working on my, on my dissertation, and so I'm, I'm typing and everything. And if you go into Microsoft Word or any other word processor, you'll see the term justify right there. You know what justify is if we're talking word processing. Um, if I want to justify uh, my document to the left... Then I click the little left thing, and if you notice, your document, all of your writing, paragraph and everything, scoots over to the left. If I say justify right, it scoots over to the right. If I say justify center, it goes into the middle. What's going on? Well, there is an imaginary line that goes through the document, 
And when I say justify, wherever I tell my document to justify, it justifies according to that line, according to that standard, you see? And so if I wanted to justify it left, it moves that imaginary line to the left, and I don't ever really see that line, but I see all of my paragraph go according to wherever that line is, you see? That's justifying, all right? God, in his grace, has justified us. What does that mean? God has a line. He has a standard, what we've already seen here, his righteousness. And when God justifies us, he takes our lives and he aligns them to the standard of his righteousness. Now you hear that and you say, but my life doesn't align to his righteousness. That's the first three chapters. Paul's already made that claim. Yeah, so how can God align us? How can he give us that verdict of justified when we clearly are not righteous people? The answer is grace. Do you hear that? It's grace. The judge is a gracious judge. The judge looks at you and says, Your life is a hot mess, but that's okay, because by my grace, I am going to count you as lining up. I'm going to justify you. What does he do? Does it it mean that we've got to pay him back? We've got to spend the rest of our lives, you know, uh, uh, know, in his his debt, you know, the rest of our lives uh, as slaves to his service? No, 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 freely. He does this as a gift. That's what it says there. Read it. Read it. It is too good to be true. That's why you got to read it to get the proof. You are justified, verse 24, by his grace as a gift. You say, how does he do that? How can God do that? He does it through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. There's another big word, redemption. What does that mean? Well, redemption, uh, if you've ever had a coupon, you know what redemption is. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, How many of y'all are coupon people? Like, y'all are always looking for those deals, you know, and, and everything, yeah. And so um, you get your coupons. We get them in the mail, and I'm sorry. I mean, it may be that we're not frugal. We, we just throw them in the trash. Um, and that's money that we're throwing away, literally, you know, because we could be cutting them out. I know some folks that have had like the notebooks, you know, where they just, you know, they've got them, you know, laminated <laughs> and everything. It's, it's awesome. Um, well, but what are they doing? Well, you get that coupon and when you turn that coupon in, the, you are purchasing uh, uh, whatever it is that you're, that you're buying, say it's you know, detergent or something like that. You put in that, that detergent coupon and it purchases the coupon for you. Now, th- does that mean that you get it for free? Well, you get it for free, but someone paid for that detergent, okay? Somebody paid for that detergent and they gave you a coupon to go and you give that coupon to redeem the purchase, Okay? You get for free what someone else paid for. That's redemption. In this context, we're talk, uh, this is typically used in the context of slavery. You get to go free. 
in the Greco-Roman culture. You were in debt. And, and, and the only way that you can pay that uh, debt off is if you were to make yourself an indentured servant, if you were to make yourself a slave of another to work in order to pay off, the, uh, to get the money that you needed to pay off those debts. And once you paid off those debts, you were free. But somebody may, in the kindness of their heart, say, you know what? I'll pay that debt for you. How much is it? Let me, here, give me the check. Give me the bill. I'll sign off the bill and everything. You get to go free. You get to walk free for what someone else paid for. You have been justified by his grace as a gift because Jesus paid for it. Jesus paid for it. <laughs> Again, what kind of love is this? That our Lord and our Savior would be so gracious and so kind to come and say, I will pay that for you. You've got an insurmountable mountain of, 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 of debt that you have accrued before God, sin after sin after sin after sin, over and over again, breaking his commands, over and over again, worshiping the creature rather than the creator, over and over again, disregarding him, thinking too lightly of him, not trembling in his presence, having no fear of this God, over and over and over again. Can you imagine if you could quantify the, the, the sin and the wickedness and the rebellion that you have against God, we could never see the top of that hill. And Jesus in his grace comes over and says, I will pay for it in full. <laughs> I'll pay for it in full. No sin is left on your record. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. All. And on the basis of his work on your behalf, justified. Mm. I thought more people would be shouting. I don't know what's going on today. God's righteousness is delivered to believers in Christ. He delivers it to you. He gives you this. What God demands of you, God supplies. You say, I, I don't know how I can be righteous before God. I can't do this. No, you can't do it. Jesus does it for you. He is what he demands. And this is grace. There are some of you I know who have been living lives where you have just been under the burden. You feel that weight and you go, there's no way that I can never live up. I can't live up to other people's expectations. I can't live up to my job's expectations. I can't live up to my parents' expectations. I can't live up to my spouse's expectations. I can't live up to my in-laws' expectations. I can't live up to anybody's expectations. I look in the mirror and I see a wretch. Good, good. That's exactly where you need to be. Because then you, Jesus comes and Jesus says, I'm here for wretches. <laughs> I've come to take that burden and put it on myself. I've come to pay it so that when you look at yourself in the mirror, you see someone who has been forgiven. You see someone who's been redeemed. You see someone who has been rescued. You never have to live under that burden uh, again because Jesus has paid for your release. It's over. You're right before God. The judge has spoken. Case closed. But now we've got this issue still. How can he do that? How can he do that and be a righteous judge? 
I mean, what is that, like bribery? Somebody else comes and pays and everything, and you let them, well, wait a second, but you did the crime. So now it's just, you know, whoever, you know, whoever gets to pay the highest cost and everything, they pay the, the fine and all this, and now you're released? What's up with that? No, it's not a bribe. No, it's not a bribe. You see, there's something else that Jesus did. And what Jesus did, this something else that he did, is what makes the redemption perfect. And therefore, what makes your justification final. What is that? Well, it's our last point here. God's righteousness is demonstrated by the suffering of Christ. God's righteousness is demonstrated by the suffering of Christ. His righteousness is displayed by the witness of Scripture. His righteousness is delivered to believers in Christ. And his righteousness now is demonstrated by the suffering of Christ. Paul says one more thing about Jesus in here. Look what he says in, in verse 25. He says of Jesus, verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Now, the word is, is a little bit complicated, propitiation, um, uh, but, but it goes back to the Old Testament. Okay? You go back into the Old Testament, and there was a place where the people would gather together to worship. It was called the tabernacle uh, back in the days of Moses when they went into the land and conquered the land and so on. During the days of Solomon, uh, they built a permanent structure for this called the temple. This is where all the people would gather regularly uh, to worship the Lord and to offer sacrifices. Now, this is what would happen. In the temple, the tabernacle slash temple later on, there were different compartments, different rooms. You had this one big open hall, if you will, and then you had a spot that was called the holy place, and then you had a spot behind a curtain called the most holy place, the holy of holies. And in there, there was a box called an ark, the ark of the covenant. And on top of that was a slab of gold that had uh, angels uh, facing each other, one on one side, one on the other side, and their wings would point towards each other, and all of that. And that slab was called the mercy seat. During the holiday of Yom Kippur, which means the Day of Atonement, they would take a sacrifice, they would slit the throat of the lamb, they would take the blood, and they would sprinkle it onto the mercy seat. Why would they call it the mercy seat? Well, it was because there at the seat, they believed that that was essentially the throne of God on earth. And there at the throne, when the blood was applied onto the mercy seat, it would appease the wrath of God over the sins of the people, and God would say, as the high priest would come out, your sins are forgiven. They're forgiven. One died in your place. And on the basis of this sacrifice, you receive mercy. Why do I say all of that? Because Paul just said here, Jesus is the sacrifice and Jesus is the mercy seat. He's the one. 
Jesus is the one who laid down his life as a sacrifice for sin. The lamb had to be perfect and unblemished, and Jesus committed no sin. He was perfectly righteous and holy in all of his ways, and he gladly laid down his life for the sins of the people, and God took his blood, if you will, and sprinkled it over the mercy seat and now proclaims for everyone of every ethnicity, every generation, every economic status, for all of time, if you trust in Jesus and the blood that he shed for your behalf, you will receive mercy forever. I will remember your sins no more. I will never count them against you. Check this out. He satisfied the wrath of God. It is as if the Lord is saying from now into eternity, if you are in Christ, I will never be angry with you again. Do you hear this? Do you hear this? You look at yourself and you say, I've blown it again. I've ruined my life again. I'm I'm a mess. I'm a a wreck. I've, I've made so many mistakes. How could anyone ever love me? Look to the mercy seat. And when you look at that mercy seat, you see the Lord saying, I am not angry with you. I will never, ever again be angry with you. All of the anger that I had for all of eternity for you because of all of the ways that you have disrespected me and disobeyed me and all of that, I laid onto the shoulders of my son and I punished him for it so that I will never punish you again, ever. You are mine and I am yours and my righteousness through my son, covers you. And when I look at you, I don't see your unrighteousness. When I look at you, I see his righteousness, and I love you. Mm. This is such good news. Now, notice also what happens here. When he does this, it says there that this shows God's righteousness. This is the display of his righteousness. Why is that a big deal? Well, he says, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Former sins like that politician I was talking about. Those of you who know your scriptures know who that politician was. It was a little updating of the story, but the politician I was talking about was King David. King David was the one who was uh, ruling over all of Israel. King David was the one who saw one of his Marines, if you will, Uriah, as he was out in battle. He saw his wife Bathsheba bathing as he was looking at uh, through her window from his rooftop. How did he know that 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 you know that she would be right there? I don't know how he knew that, but he used all of his authority and all of his power to get her into his bedroom, and he impregnated her. And then to cover it up, he had her husband murdered, killed in action, sent him to the front lines. And he thought that he got away with it until the prophet Nathan came up to him and said, you are the man. You are the one who has sinned against God, and you are not going to get away with this. And David confessed his sin, and God says, your sins are forgiven. And you say, what? That's it? Well, yeah, his son, the one that was born out of, uh, out of adultery, the, the son did get sick and die, but David lived. What? How is that justice? This verse tells us how it's justice. Because God knew that centuries after David would confess his sin and go through all of that, 
he would send a son of David who would come and he would take himself on the cross and he would take on the sins of David and he would lay it on his shoulders and he would suffer in the place of his ancestor David. And God passed over the sin of David, the murderer and adulterer. He passed over the sin of Moses, the murderer and crank. He passed over the sin of Solomon, the adulterer, the serial philanderer and ultimate idolater. He passed over the sins of Abraham. If you read Joshua, Joshua talks about Abram and his family being a family of idolaters uh, before the Lord came to him in Genesis 12. He, oh, oh, and by the way, Abram had this thing of always throwing his wife under the bus. Yeah, he, that sins. And, and the sin of, of, of all of the king after king after king and the people, generation after generation after generation, and God passed over them. And you say, how can he do that and be just? Because the just one wasn't there yet. But now that he has come and he has satisfied the wrath of God, all of those people who have, uh, who have trusted in the one who was to come now have their sins forgiven. The Lord was right and just to pass over their sins. And also it says here, he is, uh, shows his righteousness at the present time, verse 26, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Probably more literally, he is just even as he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. In other words, God, through the work of Jesus Christ, has so satisfied his justice that anybody who trusts in Christ can receive his mercy. This is the best news ever. You are free. God is not a bad judge. He's actually the best. Because God has provided mercy for sinners through the satisfying of his justice in Jesus. So, maybe you have been one who's tried to cover up your sin. Maybe you're one who's been trying to fix it on your own. Why would you try to fix something that the judge has already done? Why would you try to do that when the judge has already provided a way, the way, Jesus. Confess your sin to him. Trust that what Jesus has done is as advertised and receive the grace and the forgiveness that can only come through him. Maybe you've been trying to be the, the good one, right? You've been trying to live your life in such a way that, that, that nobody could look at you and say, you're a failure. Why are you working so hard to do what Jesus did perfectly? Trust Christ and let his perfection cover you. Let him be your identity. And then you can be free. Free. Finally free. To live your life in the joy that can only come in Jesus. Maybe you are here and you say, you don't understand. <laughs> Ron, George, my life's a mess. I've made so many mistakes, I've lost count. <laughs> There's no way that I could ever be called righteous before God. Do you see the lengths that our God would go? 
so that you would be counted righteous before him? Why would you turn this away? No one is too bad that they can't be called righteous before God through Jesus. <laughs> and no one is so good that they don't need it. All have sinned. The ground is level. Come to Jesus. Folks, we've only scratched the surface of this passage. But I hope that your heart has been stirred just as mine has been in meditating on this text. We have an awesome God who has given us the only Savior worthy of praise and honor and glory. What God demands of us, God supplies. And he has supplied everything we need in the person and work of Jesus. So let's trust in him. Let's rejoice in him. Let's celebrate that our righteousness is not our own. Our righteousness is Christ, and in him we live, and in him we are set free, now and forever. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, so Father, would you have your way? Magnify Christ in us. We have heard of him and what he has done for us, and so now I pray through faith, Lord, that we would receive it in us. May we trust, not in our own devices, not in our own goodness, supposed goodness, but may we trust in Christ and in Christ alone. And may we be set free knowing that our hope rests in the hands of the ever-faithful one. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for trying to carve out another way. All other ways will fail. Only Jesus satisfies. Only he satisfies your demands and only he can satisfy our soul to the depths. And so Father, I pray that we would place our lives wholeheartedly on Christ. And in him and him alone, may we find fullness of joy. Lord, if there is anyone here that does not believe in this good news, I pray, Father, that they would look at their lives and see that there's no way that they could ever find a substitute greater than Jesus. May they turn from their sin. May they turn wholeheartedly to the Lord Jesus. And may you set them free. Free from their burdens. Free from the guilt in the shame, free from your wrath, free to live, to live forever. Thank you. Have your way among us, Lord. May we meditate on this both now and every day. We are righteous because Jesus has made it so. Thank you, our great Lord and judge. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.